Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about whether or not sites can recover after an algorithm update, and it's a bit of a, a clickbaity headline. However, I'll tell you right now, I don't know the answer to this, and I think the way I phrased it, can sites recover versus how to recover a site? I mean, that that tells the whole story. So this episode was, it was inspired because I, I sent out an email to my email list and I asked how I can help. So literally, I think that was a subject line and a bunch of people replied back. A lot of people did. And I sent it out to the email list. And if you want to sign up, there's a link in the description if you're not already on the email list. But shout out to a handful of people. Christy, actually Christy from many of the interviews, student of multi-profit site. We have uh, Guido. We got Troy, Kevin, Jeanette, Andrew, Steve, Hazel, Sandra. And I think maybe a couple more trickled in. It was interesting. I got a handful of emails within the first four hours or so. And then over the next week, more emails came in. So I know what what that is like. Sometimes they, they were very short, asked one question. Sometimes they were quite long. Like I, I think I remember Steve wrote uh, maybe a couple pages worth of information, less of a question, but more observations and stuff. I think, and I emailed Steve back, I emailed everyone back, but I emailed Steve and said, I think I might be able to do a whole episode commenting on his observations over a, a few years here. So if you do want to ask me a question, you can sign up to the email list. You could email me at feedback at doug.show and those are listed in the show notes. But today, like I said, we're going to talk through some of my observations. And the thing is, basically 80% of the questions that people ask or 80% of the ideas that they wanted to to get into were around algorithm updates and kind of how things have changed with Google, but more so there was an algorithm update, my traffic is down, now what do I do? And we've had a lot of algorithm updates in the past, I would say two years has been fairly consistent. And at the time that I'm recording this is the tail end of November, 2023. Uh, December for the last, I think, three or four years has brought along a lot of holiday cheer, of course, but also uh, an algorithm update, usually a core update. Sometimes it's a review-oriented um, update. But if you look back in the list of Google algorithm updates over the last few years, without fail, there's one in December. So I would say I would say it's probably an 80 to 90% chance there's going to be an algorithm update in December. And please, I usually don't predict things, but treat me like a, like a weatherman, a meteorologist. I'm doing a, a prediction, you know, 80 to 90% likelihood that there'll be an update. That also means there's a 10 to 20% likelihood that there's not going to be an update. This is based on no research other than looking at the list, which I encourage you to look at the list of Google updates over the last couple of years, and you will see there's one in December. There's always one in December. So one other thing before we get to the questions that, that people asked and talking about whether or not you can recover a site, 
I'm going to give a, a quick shout out to uh, Zizi, who has emailed me a couple times over the past, I would say, year or so. And I think he's pretty active. He or she is active over on Reddit. And I, I am not. So there's some some chatter. There's a community over there. But the interesting thing is he's emailed me a couple times and like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm having, having some trouble. And basically he launched about 30 local websites. Generally he was launching them in niches and uh, localities that had very weak results. So there was actually a need to have some local websites and he launched 30 of them. And I, I don't remember exactly what year, but he's been working on it for uh, a couple of years. He invested quite a lot of money into the whole endeavor and a lot of time. I, you know, I tried to give a little advice here and there, but without actually like looking at the sites or doing research or being hired to do some analysis, usually my responses were around quality. You know, if you're launching 30 different websites, certainly the quality is going to be less than if you were just working on one website. But after I, I had some exchanges with ZZ, it sounded like he actually had a good amount of experience. He started working on sites, niche sites and SEO in like 2016. He had some bigger sites. He had some successes and did pretty well. He's actually, you know, financially doing quite well, but this project that he was working on didn't quite work out how he thought. In fact, of the 30 sites that he launched with a local target, to my knowledge, none of them worked out. So he was getting like zero traction. And this is a time period, again, he's been working on it a couple of years. It's a time period where he knew that things were uh, changing with Google and he could see like as he was trying things that used to work, they weren't working anymore. So one tip that I gave him was to be flexible and be adaptable. So if you're working on something for a couple of years and you have like 30 different websites, you're trying to implement the same thing and it's not working, you're going to have to pivot. You're going to have to be flexible. You're going to maybe have to liquidate those sites and move on. And that was one of the, the big areas where he understood that sunk costs are drawing him into continuing to work on these 30 websites when maybe he should just pack it up and move on. If it's not working out and he's not able to uh, crack the nut on that and figure out what to do next, maybe it's time to just move on. And yeah, really, really a tough one. And especially if you're, if you're unsure what to do and everything that you have been doing is just not working out. So I'm not sure what he's going to end up doing. No one seems to have an answer over on the Reddit side either. A lot of people say, ah, what about quality? What about this? What about that? And I haven't looked at the sites, but ZZ mentioned several times that the quality was quite high. And there were a few sites that were not in the, the local um, SEO business area. He wasn't targeting local keywords. So basically, some of his other sites also got hit. And he he's like, these are pretty damn good sites. Which brings us to the topic of the, today, which is really around what to do after your site gets hit. And like I mentioned, 
I got these emails from uh, a lot of people out there. Almost all of the questions were about an algorithm update. Sometimes the people know that the content on their website isn't the greatest, but it has been pretty good as far as getting traffic and earning over the you know couple of years, and they don't know what to do. And the thing is, I don't have great advice. I have done a little bit of research here and there, and it seems like a lot of the advice is still catching up. So it's old advice, which might still work, but things are a little bit different in the last year or so with AI. So let's zoom out a little bit and think about some recent episodes and people that I've, I've talked to where the sites that they've launched with AI content, like pure AI content, and I'm thinking of Sean and Newman specifically, like those sites are doing better than the sites where they've taken a lot of time to write the content themselves or hire a writer and use their old content uh, systems, basically. And AI with a huge volume seems to be doing better than actually writing the content yourself, which is confusing and a little disheartening. And it's unclear if that's going to work for the long term, because we can all imagine if the barrier to entry is quite low and you have a bunch of people that have figured out, I could just publish really uh, maybe subpar or average or even below uh, the average level quality content. If I could publish that, get AI to do it and do a huge volume, I could build a topical relevancy. I can build up traffic and earn some money. And the thing is, if everyone's doing it, all of a sudden, then what is the differentiator? And that leads to another common question, also going hand in hand, which is EEAT. So the thing is, I I think that probably has a a greater impact than some of the other things that we can do. Now that said, I mean, I don't think that the old advice is bad. And I'm talking about looking at all the content on your site, seeing if you have any topical gaps where you can go after some keywords that you should be going after because your website should have that content or improving content that you've already published. It used to rank well, and now it doesn't rank well anymore. It's a great idea to go and improve that content, see if there's any new information that you could add in there, do some competition analysis, even better, get firsthand experience with whatever the topic area is. Sometimes, right, if it's like a historical piece of content, let's say you have a website about uh, the Vietnam War, something like that, just making up a, a weird and unrealistic example here, but you're writing about some historical event. There's probably not new information. There's probably not much more that you could add to it. So maybe you don't need to do much there, but if it's a a product or an experience or something like that, like maybe you can do some more research, maybe have the experience yourself and write about that firsthand. So that could be really helpful. Again, I don't know if those things will actually help and it has worked in the past and I've talked to several people and heard uh, anecdotes about 
going, improving old content, publishing more content, maybe using AI to help you identify gaps in your existing content and all that kind of stuff. It's not going to be bad to do that. And when you when you take off your SEO tinfoil hat and you're thinking about the visitor to the website instead of what Google is going to do, then it kind of removes a lot of this bullshit and trying to figure out like, all right, what, what should I do to make sure I rank? Instead, you're thinking, what would be the most helpful thing for a visitor that landed on the website that has this search intent? When you think about that, it kind of, it helps things, right? It simplifies what you should work on because you're not guessing, you're ignoring the algorithm. The flaw in that, right, I get it. Especially if you have like a website that is uh, earning a lot of money, getting a lot of traffic and your traffic gets slashed, you're getting like 10% of the traffic that you used to get and it's, it's hitting you in the pocketbook, right? So what are you gonna do? you're not going to completely ignore the Google traffic that you were getting. You have to do something, but at the same time, it's like we're somewhat chasing our tails. And it's really hard to put in the time. It's really hard to think, ah, I'm going to go, I'm going to buy this product or I'm going to go on this vacation and have this firsthand experience and then write about it in hopes of getting an ROI by getting Google traffic when we have no clue what Google is going to do. I don't know. It's a tough one. So I'm asking, this is a call for uh, listeners and viewers out there. If you have a recent recovery story, please email me feedback at Doug.show. Or if you're uh, a super SEO geek and you have been monitoring sites Maybe in your niche, maybe you're just taking a look at the, the landscape and you're, you're always looking at a few sites that you respect and you're trying to learn things from them and you saw that they had a big uptick. Let me know. Um, I'm, you know, if you shoot me an email, it's not like I'm going to put it directly on a YouTube video or anything like that. If you want me to keep it confidential, that is 100% fine. I'm interested in especially recent recovery stories where people took specific action. And that's the thing. I haven't heard of any specific recovery stories in the last uh, couple months. So I know there's some courses out there on like, hey, do this stuff to recover your site. But it is unclear to me if there are case studies and testimonials for very current algorithm updates that we can rely on. So again, things have shifted a lot and I don't know if the same techniques will work in the same way that they used to. As I mentioned, there was a secondary and related question on EAT and I will point you towards episode 473 of The Doug Show where I interviewed Kyle Roof and that guy's just fun. He, he's a good dude. He has great energy. I have not met Kyle in person, and I think we've only talked uh, online you know, less than five times or something like that, but he seems like a cool dude, and I hope to hang out with him in, in the future. But anyway, check out that episode. He does have um, a couple courses over at Internet Marketing Gold IMG, which I will link up to. One of them is all about on-page SEO and 
The other cool thing with the internet marketing gold, IMG, is they have a bunch of tests, right? A bunch of experiments that they have executed and they have results. And Kyle is very smart. He's very methodical. And he must be a little crazy to do these kind of experiments because they not only run like sort of multiple iterations to ensure that the results aren't a fluke where it's like an N of one and you can't really draw a conclusion from that, but they often run, and I don't know if they do this every single time, but they run the negative scenario of that. So if something is true, they test the opposite of it. And if, if that checks out, then you end up with a higher, I'm not a statistician, but you end up with a higher degree of certainty. So certainly check out uh, Kyle's stuff over there. That said, he gave us great tips on episode 473. I have seen, and I haven't um, I haven't tested this. I, I'm not as rigorous as Kyle, but my impression usually for EAT was around backlinks and backlinks being one of the main signs to Google that your site is credible. And if you have a, I mean, if you look, you see the sites that have a shitload of backlinks, typically they have, you know, either a lesser impact from algorithm updates or no impact from algorithm updates. There's whatever, you know, hundreds, there's like a thousand factors out there for ranking. They play a huge role in the whole thing, which I'm not making like outrageous claims or anything like links are pretty important. They have been for many years. I think you can get away, or at least up until recently, you could get away with essentially just publishing really excellent content and doing well. But if you add links to the mix, it takes it, it takes your SEO to another level, especially with the work that's actually required to do it. So one thing that I'm gonna start emphasizing even more, and if you're a longtime listener to the show, you've heard me talk about my, myself, nearly ad nauseum at this point, but talk about myself and the things that I have personally done for my, I'll put an air quote, I don't even like, like saying personal brand, but like my personal brand and really like niche site project, the podcast, YouTube channel. And those are my main sort of focuses. When I'm looking at the algorithm updates and I... I feel the pain out there, right? I understand what's happening. And I see so many stories out there where I get these emails where people were crushing it. They were actually doing what Google said and they end up getting hit. Or, I mean, you know, take Google out of the equation. There's other platforms where things change, right? Algorithms change. They change on Pinterest, they might change on Facebook or Instagram Reels or whatever. But the point is I've talked about my, my platform and I completely ignore certain things, but I really focus on others. So I will emphasize having a platform and picking the things that you wanna focus on. And I'll tell you the ones that I, I have focused on. So number one, I mean, I still think having a, a blog, a website to have content, other information there, right? You may have e-commerce, maybe you're a coach, but a website is good even if you have to deal with algorithm updates, different bullshit. 
you can still rank for stuff, right? You want to have a good brand um, sort of awareness. And that's that's one thing that I have. Like people do Google like Doug Cunnington or Niche Site Project or related ideas, right? So there is there is some reference like Google knows that I talk about certain things. By the way, I didn't get hung up on that. I have a whole other podcast where I talk about personal finance. There's some logic to, you know, sticking in your wheelhouse, but I have other interests and I'm not living my life trying to cater to um, the algorithm for Google, right? So I'm I'm talking about the stuff that I want to talk about. So when you think about the, the platform, so blog is good. Email list is critical. It is essential. Build an email list. If you don't have an email list, um, you will look back and think I should have started my email list sooner. You could probably get a, a free package at certain places. I, I would recommend um, going to, I'll, I'll recommend the places that I use for, for all this stuff. So email, AWeber, they've uh, done a good job for many years. I still have an account with AWeber. And I use them for my other podcast, Mile High Fi. I also have an email list at Kajabi. I use Kajabi because they have courses, they have funnels, they have um, communities, they have coaching. It's actually a full suite of uh, everything that I need. And it's probably one of the best in class for courses. It's pretty good in all the other areas. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's best in class anywhere else. But um, if you're just looking for an email list, I would say go with someone like AWeber. If you have less than 500 subscribers, then I think you qualify for their free package. There's some limitations, but that's a really good one to grow into. I believe MailChimp, at least at one point in time, I know they did have a free version, but it's, it's more limited. And when you actually want to grow... Um, I think you end up, most people that I know end up wanting to move off of MailChimp. So oftentimes it's easier to go to someplace like AWeber. And there's a ton of them, right? Those are just the ones that I use. Next is a podcast, which you're listening to now. I got started with all this stuff from listening to podcasts. So it was kind of, um, it was in my mind from when I very, from when I got started at the very beginning, like, Hey, it would be great to do a podcast. And I wish I started a podcast uh, a few years sooner than I actually did. So I started this show in 2019 and, you know, in theory it would be, it would have been better if I started it sooner, but everything's fine. And I was kind of busy then. I was spending a lot of time doing other stuff and you can't do everything all at once. So I was layering things on. The great thing with a blog, email, and a podcast, they're purely independent. It is, you don't have to worry about anyone like turning your, uh, your reach down or anything like that. The email list is on my account. The podcast is on my podcast hosting account. I use a company called Castos, by the way. And you know, kind of like web hosting. There's tons of them out there. They all have maybe little different focus areas, but essentially most of them are going to be really good most of the time. Castos has a great plugin that integrates with WordPress. I'm sure the others do also. Kind of a commodity, but I like Castos. I have both of my podcasts on Castos. Next, YouTube video is becoming 
just about essential. A lot of people don't want to put their uh, face out there. They're a little bit nervous. If you look back at my early videos, I too was nervous. When I get out of practice a little bit, I get nervous and kind of stumble over my words, but you'll get better. And the, the thing is, it's a great skill to have regardless. And if you're out there creating videos, you're adding to your, you know, different areas of skill, you are getting better at a different format, which will help you in the future, no matter what you're working on. And the fact that I can do video and have slowly over the last six years learned how to use gear. I've stayed current with different software. I can, like I get hired occasionally to do live streams for some nonprofits around here. I kind of, I'm much cheaper than the the competition because I don't have to do it for a living. So I've helped out some friends to do live streams because I have all the gear and their budget is much, much lower than what the actual market cost to hire like a, a real pro <laughs> to do live streaming. So I was like, ah, you know, I'll help out this nonprofit to do this or that. Anyway, YouTube is great. Video skills are awesome. If you know how to do video, you will stand out from your competition. And I'm just thinking of like an individual skill level, but let's pause here for a second and think about the people out there that have a blog and you have lost traffic. You've, you've lost revenue because the Google algorithm updates have hit your site and Google does want some, like they want brands out there, right? They keep telling us they want brands and they, they want you to, you know, to look like a real business, right? Or maybe SEO say that I get, I get it confused, but basically if you look more like a real business, that's a good thing, right? That's what everyone's telling us. So the, the point that I'm making here is if you have a bigger platform where you actually do have a presence out there and you actually have podcasts that are published and Google sees that there there's a podcast and it's connected to your website. And then there's also a, a YouTube channel where videos are published and there's some intermingling traffic back and forth. I think that is probably a good thing. Ignoring the what Google thinks of you, which you probably should, we shouldn't make our worth based on what Google thinks of us or our websites. You are meeting people where they are. Some people don't listen to any podcast, but they watch YouTube all the time or vice versa. And then there's another group that doesn't read blog posts. They only do YouTube or they only listen to podcasts. Some people do all three. I actually do all three depending on you know who it is that I'm following and the kind of content it is. But the point overall is you are meeting the audience where they are and you are building skills and a, a whole platform, a whole, like a multiple, um, multiple platform, like presence, which is great. Now, those are the main ones that I actually focus on. I do like YouTube, even though it's, it's kind of a, a content platform slash social media platform, right? They, they've mixed some stuff together. But I like YouTube because it is quite open. There is an algorithm you have to think about if you choose to. I I have actually, I've I've 
decided that I wasn't going to chase the algorithm as much for YouTube because I didn't want to burn out. So that's another little secret. I have a a huge amount of longevity because I'm deciding what game that I am playing and it doesn't line up with trying to cater to the YouTube algorithm. I'll test some things out, right? I'm curious. I'm trying to figure out if uh, like YouTube shorts, was that a good use of my time? It turns out it wasn't really working for me the way I was doing it. And I've tested some stuff. I've followed some advice, but I was like, you know what? I'm bored with this. I'm not going to cater to short form content. Just my choice. There are other platforms that I encourage you to check out for your specific niche. And again, if you have taken a hit from recent updates, spreading to a different platform might be a good move. You usually can just repurpose your content. So for example, when I first started the uh, YouTube channel, I had, you know, hundreds of blog posts that I could pick from. I knew which ones were popular. It's kind of like having an outline. And I just translated that over to video for the most part. And then when I started the podcast, I did the same exact thing. I looked at the YouTube videos. I looked at my blog post and then figured out how to create a podcast episode from those topic areas. So just repurposing it. That said, You could look at LinkedIn, you could look at Twitter. All my friends are telling me uh, there's so many exciting things over on Twitter and I'm really missing out. And damn it, they're they're starting to get me over there a little bit more, but uh, I, I see the the nonsense that goes on and I'm like, ah, just I it's not my thing. But some people do great at it, and I may go over there and test at some point. Pinterest is another really you know full platform search engine. It's not necessarily social media, but that's an area where I know a lot of people that I talk to have been getting awesome traction. You still have to deal with SEO and algorithm updates there because it is a bit of a search engine, right? So you have to you have to think about that. It does have, to my knowledge, it does have a little bit of a social media component where if you don't continue to pin, then your impressions will often uh, go down and you will get less traffic from Pinterest. So there's some things you could do to automate. However, it is kind of the social media treadmill, in my opinion, as an unqualified person who has uh, very little to no experience with Pinterest, but that's what I hear on the street. So a couple others to note here, TikTok, all the kids are using it, could be great. I think it's probably hard to get people off the platform, which is similar to Instagram Reels, right? Facebook wants to keep um, folks on Instagram. Facebook groups apparently uh, kick ass. Again, everyone's doing it. All my friends are in there. People with big groups can like swing traffic in the direction that they want. And they really have, uh, you know, a great amount of reach there. There's probably other social media platforms that you can get into. The couple that I would maybe spend a little more time on personally would be uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. Again, having, you know, these skills that I have, which are, you know, I would say average, right? I'm not great at video. I mean, you've seen these videos out there that I do. It's not that great. I have a couple nice lenses. So quality wise, it looks okay. But the content, I mean, it could be a little rough, right? The point being 
LinkedIn and Twitter might be a great place for me to experiment with video. One thing I do know and I've learned over time is that you have to create content specific for the platform. So if I published my YouTube videos over on LinkedIn, it probably wouldn't do as well. And I, I know this because I've, I've tested uh, different things out uh, over time and it just doesn't quite work. I would probably need to think about the kind of videos or the kind of content that would do best on LinkedIn, which may require some testing. So those are the couple that I would potentially get into. The other thing, right? So I'm telling you, build more of a platform, be present on other platforms, have a a brand and have um, kind of a presence across, across the internet, right? So if you are doing this, you have a higher likelihood, in my opinion, to get backlinks. And, you know, you may have to go out there and do some networking to make it happen. But the thing is, if you have a podcast, maybe you do interviews, right? And then you publish those on YouTube, there's a very high likelihood that you'll be able to network with experts and people with a very large amount of authority in your niche just because you have a show. One tip I'll give is before you start doing interviews with other people, highly recommend you get a few shows done under your belt, maybe solo. I'm not 100% sure how many people do what I'm about to describe, but like when I get a when I get a uh, email about being on someone's podcast, I usually make sure they publish, you know, at least you know 20 episodes or so, maybe 10. The thing that I I realized was people will start recording and then they will never launch their show. And I can think of at least three interviews I've done. It's been a couple of years now, but I've done you know three interviews where I put in whatever, an hour, hour and a half interview. I chatted with the person afterwards, gave them some words of encouragement or advice or whatever, and then they never published it. And it felt like a huge waste of time and uh, very disrespectful of my time. So I look to make sure that people do have a handful of episodes published, 20 of them, 50, whatever. Uh, you could pick some threshold. But the point is, if you have at least 10, I'll probably like double check like, hey, you're still public. And I'll look to make sure they're publishing like week over week. But the thing is, I don't want to waste my time, right? All that to say... You can get great experts on your show. You could chat with them. It'll be awesome for the overall like relevancy of the, the topics for your, your blog or website. And you should be able to get expert level content, which is pretty cool. So one thing that we, we can all do now is take that transcript from an interview, feed it into ChatGPT or a tool like Claude or fill in the blank. There's probably at least a dozen tools that can do the exact same thing. Put in a transcript, ask for an SEO optimized blog post. And it's not going to be 100% right, but chances are it'll be like 80% and you could go fix it up 
or maybe you could tweak it a little bit more with the AI and say, hey, don't talk about this, talk about this area, and then uh, be able to publish it on your blog and you would have uh, great expertise. You would be able to reference the actual expert from the industry. And the other cool thing is it's fantastic for just networking in general. So you'll interview that person, which is great, but you'll also be able to have that contact. And then you could ask them, hey, is there someone that you think I should interview in this topic area? And you can get a warm introduction to more and more people. The other thing, right? So you're kind of helping them out. You're placing them in a place of authority and as an expert, and you are kind of promoting them, which they will greatly appreciate. If you actually go to an in-person event, like a conference in the industry, people will know you and you'll be able to do some of the like real networking, the real in-person networking that I've talked about in recent episodes. You can't replace that, right? I mean, you, we can make great connections online, especially with uh, you know video and it, it takes more time, of course, but if you're going to an event if you have a show, if you have some presence, especially a cross-platform uh, you know, brand where people know you and they, oh, they're like, oh yeah, I saw your uh, video on LinkedIn or whatever, you'll be able to probably elevate everything that you're doing in your business. Opportunities will pop up and it's, it's fun to meet people in person. So very high leverage on the podcast and YouTube side. You have an email list along with that, and then you'll be able to uh, promote other people's uh, products as an affiliate. You can create your own products, physical, sure, you could do that. You can do digital products too, and that's where Kajabi really shines. The cool part with um, the podcast and email along with a blog is those are 100% independent, right? There's no, of course, you have to think about the Google algorithm, which is the whole um idea around this episode. But in general, you'll be able to publish your website. People can get to it. They're not going to be able to like throttle it down or anything like that. And if you are using um, these other platforms, then the the Google search traffic hopefully will just be a portion of it. And then you have traffic coming from other areas. And as you maybe grow your podcast or you grow on YouTube, which is still subject to algorithms and such. And it's not completely independent. They can still shut your account down. But the good part, it's, it's one of the most independent uh, places that you can publish videos. The huge advantage, right? The reason why we deal with that is because of the discoverability and YouTube is a search engine, so you can get traffic from just random discoverability, and you also can get some search traffic from YouTube. But anyway, the point is, if you have uh, your independent blog, you have a podcast, which is independent, and an email list, you can have a, a pretty robust and anti-fragile platform where if an algorithm comes, comes out, you don't care as much, all right? You're independent, 
And with an interviews type uh, podcast or YouTube channel, you have a huge amount of credibility as far as networking. People will talk to you if you have a show versus if you just if, if you just emailed them and said, hey, can I ask you questions for an hour because I want to know the answers to them? They're not going to do that. But if you have a show, they're probably going to do it, right? Especially if you have a uh, sort of a, a professional way to do it, which... Actually, that that brings me to uh, something I have been thinking about. I will put together a, we'll call it, I mean, a straight up a lead magnet, right? So you're going to observe some of the things that I'm doing here uh, in real time. But I'll put together a lead magnet for what I'm going to start using when I interview people. So I received this from a couple interviews that, that I was on not too long ago. And they, they sent it out to me. They were like, Hey, can you fill this out ahead of time? It's just, it was like a one pager and asked for some basic information. And it occurred to me, I have done hundreds of interviews at this point, but I was like, why, why have I not asked for this information? Like I've seen this a dozen times at least. And it's only now where I'm like, Oh, I should use this. So basically it's a kind of a, an interview, a pre-interview form, a one pager that the interviewee would fill out and it makes it easier for you to not only do the the podcast episode, but show notes and other links and stuff like that. So I'll put a link in the show notes here so you could download that. You know, let's go meta for a second. I'm doing this because I want to build up my email list a little bit more. So I am going to mention this podcast interview cheat sheet, right? That's what we'll call it. I'm thinking of this on the fly podcast interview cheat sheet. Then I'll be able to reference it in the future. Really good. And I actually, um, I was interviewed uh, last week. I sent it to this newer podcaster and I was like, here's my information. So it makes it easier for you to do this interview. All right, that's it for today. If you do have any questions out there, let me know. Feedback at Doug.show. And this is the big thing that I, I need answered. If you have observed or recovered a site yourself in the last few months, please let me know. Feedback at Doug.show. I'll keep it confidential unless you want to share the information with me. That said, I mean, I have heard there was one person who emailed, I can't remember who it was in that list, but they said that uh, most of their sites were hit and they lost traffic. But the site that they've neglected for a couple years actually improved in traffic and it started ranking more. So it's just these weird results that we see out there that make it a little bit more confusing. Thanks for listening to the show and we'll catch you on the next episode. 